Hi, I'm Kim Bussey-Chamberlain, a paramedic, mum and author. As paramedics, we're often asked, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? And I'm here to encourage a different kind of conversation, to uncover what it takes to work in these frontline roles and the privilege we experience in meeting and connecting with patients. This podcast is all about what it's really like to be a paramedic or any frontline uniform professional. Each week, you get to hear from the real humans under the uniform, the memorable moments they've experienced in their jobs, and the people that have stayed with them for life. Let's hear what life is really like beneath the blue lights. Welcome to Beneath the Blue Lights, the paramedic podcast. I'm Kim, your host for this series. Today, I'm honoured to have Lydia Maskery, paramedic and clinical team manager, join us for a chat. The reason I wanted Lydia on the podcast is because she's not only a wonderful medic, but also one of the kindest ones I know. We trained together at St George's University of London and then worked on different complexes in the same ambulance service once we qualified. When I hit a rough patch on the back of a few traumatic jobs, I was really struggling to get through each shift at work. I vividly remember turning up to a station one morning I hadn't worked at before and waiting for my crewmate for the shift to walk through the door. When Lydia walked in, I was just so relieved to see it was her. I'm pretty sure I burst into tears. We had a really good shift together. Lydia really looked out for me and we had an ice cream after, which as we know is a sign of a really good shift. So she's not only clinically excellent, I'd let her treat any of my loved ones any day but it's her kindness to her colleagues that also makes her brilliant in this job. Now in a management role, I'm so glad that our colleagues have her. I think if during my darkest times at work, I'd had a manager like Lydia, that time in my career might have played out differently. So here she is. Hi Lydia, how are you? Well, I'm a bit choked after that actually. (laughs) (laughs) What an intro, thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm really well and really honoured to come and have a chat with you on the podcast, Kim. So thank you very much for inviting me. That's good. It's a good a good excuse to say nice things to each other, isn't it, really? It is, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm really happy to have you here as well. And let's kick off with a bit of a background chat. Um, if you don't mind telling us a bit about you, how you kind of got into this line of work, how long you've been doing it for and what you're doing now, how you got there. Um, yeah, so so I always knew from being really young that I wanted to do something medical. Um, I never really knew what. And as I kind of went through my career through school and my first degree, everything was sort of pointing me towards a different branch of the NHS. And my story really about how I decided to work in the ambulance service is a bit of a corny one, um, because I decided to become a paramedic when I was halfway up Kilimanjaro on summit night. Um, and there's nothing like, as you do, yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's nothing like being absolutely remote on day four of a six day hard trek when you're sleep deprived and pacing up through snow, freezing cold. And all you can do really is think. And I was thinking about life and had been for the last couple of days. And I'd been thinking about what I actually wanted to get from a job. And as I was walking and thinking, it just sort of popped into my head and I thought, hmm, should maybe look into that when I get back to the UK. Mm-hmm. And I did. And funnily enough, my brother is also, uh, work. he works in the emergency services. He's a police officer. Mm. And it had popped into my head. And while I was in Africa, it had popped into his. Mm. And he walked through the door to see me when I'd returned from the trip. And he said, I've been thinking about you and your career. And I think you should be a paramedic. 
And it was so bizarre that we'd both had that same thought. Um, so I did uh, Kilimanjaro in 2012. And as you know, because we went to uni together, mm-hmm. uh, we started the degree in 2013. So I made the decision and, and there it was. So what I do, paramedic for five years. And then as you said in the intro, recently I've become a clinical team manager, which has been a bit of a challenge, um, especially during COVID, I won't lie. Um I got the job and I was moved to a different complex, a different sector, in fact, within the ambulance service. So I had to learn a new area, um, new hospitals, new protocols and new people. Um, but the role is is a fantastic one. It's an iceberg role. As I always say, what, what I used to think CTMs did isn't actually not what they do. There's <laughs> a lot more, um, which I've found out as I've gone along. Uh, and it's a lovely balance of clinical and management. Um, and it's it's a role in which I can be frontline, but also support frontline, which is just the best of both, really. It sounds super interesting. And I think, like you say, it's nice when you move into those roles to still keep the clinical side going as well and to find like a bit more balance there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, an amazing story to hear that you uh, had that thought at the top of Kilimanjaro. Yeah, it was my epiphany, I like <laughs> yeah. to think. <laughs> What a a beautiful place to have it in. certainly was. (laughs) So being a paramedic obviously comes with a lot of responsibility. We're there to help people when they're at their most vulnerable. When you tell people that you're a paramedic, do you ever get asked this terrible pet peeve question of mine? What's the worst job you've ever seen? Oh, yeah, yours and my pet peeves both, mate. Um, Yes, I do. Uh, I've been asked it on first dates before which (laughs) absolutely is a sinker Um, I don't know quite how you can plaster a smile on your face and carry on being casual when that bombshell's dropped over a starter Um, but yeah it's as you say it's an awful question and I do get asked it a lot Um, Mm. I don't I don't think people mean it to be a an awful question um but yeah, there it is. Out it pops. Yeah, I think that's kind of leads on to what I want to talk about next is like the idea of it being a question everybody seems to want to ask us and wondering why people do ask us. You know, what what are they really wanting to ask us? Is there something else that they actually want to find out about? Because I think overall people don't know a lot about the job that we do and everything that it entails. And so I think there is, you know, an interest in it and they want to get into well what do we actually do day to day and and find out some of our stories but clearly that question's just really the wrong way to come at it (laughs) Um, so why do you think people are asking that question and what do you think they should maybe be asking us instead I think thinking about it there's two different aspects to why people ask that question in my in my head really the first one is is somebody that as you say they're asking it but it's not really what they want to know. So they want to know about our job. And actually, it, it's, it has, I think, become a question that is, is thrown out there and people are, are aware that we are asked it. And I think that it, it sometimes is almost a, a shotgun reaction to, this is my job, I'm a paramedic. Oh, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? Um, there are those that, I think there's that group of people that, that see it as the only thing that they've seen of our job is, is the dramatized version casualty Mm -hmm. holby city er gray's anatomy Uh, i know they're kind of based in hospitals but you know what i mean it's that it's the medical side of things so they almost 
have only seen the theatrical side and, and they're trying to ask a question that's going to make us open up to what it's really like. Mm-hmm. Um, the other aspect of people, I think, are the best way I can describe it are the roller coaster riders, the people that are the thrill seekers, the people that that want the adventure but without the risk, almost. Yeah. And and I think it's it is the same reason that that people um, kind of slow down when they're going past an accident on the motorway. It human human nature is to be addicted to an adrenaline rush. We love adrenaline. That's why we go and do bungee jumping and, like I say, roller coasters and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that when people hear a story, um, a, a gory story, or when they watch something horrific on the television, or when they read something horrific, it almost it gives them a, an internal vision of it an image in the head and that's something that they then completely have control over how much they make that dramatic but mm-hmm. it gives them an adrenaline boost and, and I think that that's it's the psych, it's the physiological response to to the psychological input that that's what they that's what they go for and I think that's the science behind or the psychology behind morbid fascinations with things yeah interesting um, but that's that's probably just my strange take on it, but yeah, two groups <laughs> no. of people, I guess. <laughs> no, I think that's really sounds really apt, actually, and I like I like the roller coaster term as well. <laughs> um, also, just uh, on a slight side note tangent here, but uh, can we just talk about dating as paramedics as well? First off, that question, <laughs> massive no, don't do it on a date. Never do that on a date. It's no. not a good start to dating a paramedic. Completely the other one is not is. This uh, idea of like sexy uniforms and then uh, asking about the uniform and you're like, it's not sexy. <laughs> it is honestly one of the ugliest uniforms anybody could ever wear. It's steel toe cap boots and green baggy ill-fitting cargo trousers with a mm. shirt that, to be honest, I think it's now changed to a polo shirt, hasn't it? You can wear either, to be honest. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. You get a choice of a yeah. really, really attractive green polo shirt. Mm hmm. Or a button-down shirt. Well, I don't even know. It's like the worst material ever made. <laughs> not great. Not and, great. Uh, and that whole that whole vibe. Like, no, it's it's not. That's not what it is. <laughs> no. And usually it, it's covered in bodily fluids, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they say that there's some sort of resistant coating on it, but I don't believe that for a second. No, it, um, <laughs> I did. It's funny you should say that because I, I was traveling in the back of an ambulance with a lovely old lady um, a few weeks ago. And she just sort of put her hand out onto the pocket of my trousers as I was standing at the side of her. And I looked down and I said, are you okay? And she said, yes. She said, but I don't know why you're wearing this. It does nothing for you. (laughs) Thanks very much. And I said, I don't really have a choice. And she just sort of looked at me with this benign smile on her face and went, oh, that's a shame. (laughs) How brutal. How brutal. (laughs) She knows. (laughs) She does. Yeah. Yeah, she does. (laughs) Um, following on from that bit before as well and uh and our pet peeve question um I wanted to say if you were to have a conversation then telling people about the job and about what we do and things what people really want to know is what what do we do on a day-to-day basis but also sometimes you know what are our highlights or jobs that stay with us do you have any um patients or jobs or situations that you found yourself in as a paramedic that have stayed with you that either are heartwarming or funny or maybe strange take your pick (laughs) I'm sure you've got one for all of them but (laughs) I I think I probably have actually um I I I one that was particularly heartwarming when I was a student um 
I we were called to a job and it, it had come down as somebody with difficulty in breathing. And then when we actually got to the job, uh, it was a, a lady in cardiac arrest and she was only very young. And I remember it was in a shop mm. and we got ROSC, which is return of spontaneous circulation. So by the time we got her into hospital, she had a, a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. The prognosis wasn't that great. Um, and I never found out what happened to this lady. And as you know, Kim, they we used to receive letters um, mm-hmm. when people survived to hospital discharge and we never, ever got one for this lady. Anyway, fast forward to probably, if I'm thinking about it logically, about five years later. Mm. Um, so we're going back about three years now. I attended a lady who was having a, an Addison's crisis. Essentially, she explained to me that she had this medical condition as a result of a brain tumour. And I said, I said, oh, you know, tell me more about your brain tumour. And she said, oh, they found a benign tumour. She said, um, but it was only found coincidentally when they scanned my head after I had a cardiac arrest. And it turned out that this was the same lady that I had been to five years earlier and, and been a part of the team that resuscitated no her. And I recognised her name, actually. She had quite a distinctive name. And I sat there for a second and I just said to her, I said, I was there. And she burst into tears and she was hugging me. And it was just such a beautiful moment that this lady that had always stuck in my head and I'd always wondered yeah. what had happened to her um, and just assumed that, you know, she'd, she'd died. And there she was. Um, and aside from the, the Addison's condition, which was completely unrelated to the cardiac arrest, she was functioning normally, had a job, lived a happy oh, life. And that was that was wonderful. Yeah. So that that I think was my heartwarming one. Um, funny ones. Probably. Probably. I've got a few. Um, <laughs> <laughs> haven't we all? <laughs> yeah. Haven't we all indeed? Um, I think probably funny ones, ones that spring to mind. I love passionate people, people that collect things and going into the houses and seeing what they collect. Um, and I, I once went into the house of a, a lady who had a life-size cutout of George Clooney in the front room. And to the point, it's so realistic, in fact, that it did actually make me jump as I walked in. Um, <laughs> but, but George wasn't allowed to see any of the examination that went on. So every time <laughs> we, got, we had to do a, a physical exam on this lady... Uh, we had to turn George round so that he wasn't looking, but then turn him back so that he could be part of the conversation. So yeah, that was that was probably one of my most bizarre ones, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I remember actually. Um, I'm not sure it was one of your patients, but I think it was early on in our training when you were in um, in the hospital, obviously handing over a patient or something, and uh, another rogue patient ran across the A and E department to uh, flash you, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. I'd completely forgotten about that one. (laughs) Yes, they did. That one sticks with me as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's just reminded me of that. Funny how that popped out of my head. (laughs) Oh, dear. So I guess at the moment, like you said, going into your new role, it's been a bit of a tricky time to underplay it, I suppose, uh, given the global pandemic. And part of that, I think, is also the pressure, the added pressure for paramedics working frontline during COVID-19 has been unbelievable, really, as as with other healthcare professionals and frontline key workers. Um, it's just another layer of pressure in what's already a high pressure, sometimes high stress job. And it's highlighted again the importance of mental health, good mental health and looking after our mental health in this job. Um, so what does mental health in the job mean to you? Um, gosh, big question. Um, 
as you say, it's really pertinent at the moment. We're seeing, um, and I know this is countrywide and probably worldwide, huge amounts of burnout and stress in people. It's been relentless for 18 months and it, it, there's no sign of it letting up. And that's just, that's the aftermath of COVID. That's everything combined. Um, and as a, as a manager, I've seen it in members of staff who uh, there's a lot, uh, an increase in sickness there's, and, and a lot of it is mental health related. People are needing needing to talk which is wonderful that people feel they can mm-hmm. um and i think i think you'll probably agree kim that the ambulance service and the nhs on on the whole have become a lot more um i don't even think that accepting or tolerant is the word but they have they've become a lot better where mental health is concerned there doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be the stigma of get up dust off carry on mm-hmm. um so mental health to me um It means having the tools to cope with what this job throws at you um, in in whatever sense that is. So um, I think there needs that we've got a new wellbeing hub at the moment um, and that's opened up avenues all over the place for mm-hmm. counselling. Um, Pre-COVID, they had therapy dogs that would go around, which was wonderful. They had their own little ID badges, which was super cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anything that promotes positive mental well-being um not even resilience but like I said just the ability to cope with what this throws at us because Mm -hmm. I think that in our job we go to abnormal situations consistently with the need and the requirement to have normal responses Mm -hmm. and that's not always possible and even if you have to or even if you can project that outwardly there's there's has to be an acknowledgement that that needs to be processed internally as well yeah um so I think that's basically what what mental health we means to me and, and mental well being I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that word resilience is also a bit tricky, isn't it? Sometimes because I think it's tied up with probably the old old way of thinking, maybe that was it's up to you to build up your resilience, and then once you are resilient in the role, you'll be fine. Just dust it all off. Whereas I think there's now, like you say, a bit more acknowledgement of the fact that. It's not actually all about resilience. And even if you are what one might consider a resilient person, I guess, um, the job is is mad sometimes. It's it, it throws at you all sorts of things. And it might be lovely for a whole period of time. And then all of a sudden, you'll get a cluster of really awful things that are difficult to process and difficult to deal with. And mm. um, whether or not you're resilient, those things are going to have an impact on you because you're only human. Mm. Yeah. And the idea that building resilience in paramedics is the answer is is just, well, it's not the answer, is it? Because ultimately you're human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. And I think that we go out on ambulances or on cars or however we go about our jobs, whether we're paramedics working in GP surgeries. And I think that we go out and we have equipment with us. We have a bag, we have bags full of, of equipment. We know how to cannulate do airways, interventions, all of those sorts of things. But I think that having your own, as corny as it sounds, internal toolkit Mm -hmm. of coping mechanisms and being able to recognise in yourself when things are starting to get too much um, and not cracking the whip for yourself. I think most people are their own worst enemy with that. Um, It's what I always say to people, you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, And I, I really believe that there are certain times when, like you say, we all know these jobs come in runs. Um, oh, yeah. 
And when you've had a run of bad jobs, it's important to recognise that you need to take a step back and say, hang on a minute, let me let me try to reconcile this, straighten everything out again. So. Yeah, for sure. So on that note as well, what uh, what do you do in terms of maintaining your mental health in the job and in terms of coping mechanisms? I know you do quite a lot of exercise and things as well. Yeah. Um, is that like an outlet for you? And It absolutely is. Um yeah, and that's something that's been my outlet for for quite a long time. Actually, probably even before I started the job, but I've realised that going through the job and having p- natural periods of dropping off the exercise when shifts have become a bit manic, mm-hmm. I definitely realise I, I can identify where the scales tip. Um, so I, I make exercise a priority now um, because mm-hmm. I know that it's important for physical and mental well-being, mm-hmm. and actually sometimes I have to haul myself into the gym but I know that an hour later I'll walk out feeling a lot better I also um as you know when I was at uni I used to row yeah team sports are really important team sports are really hard to do when you you work shift work because you can't you can't make every Sunday game you Mm -hmm. can't make every training session but I have been playing touch rugby for a couple of years now with a local team um and they have a complete understanding that they might not see me for four weeks, but then they might see me, poor them, for 10 weeks on the trot. Um, and, and it's just the way my shifts work. But they are such a great group of girls that I turn up and it's like I've been there every single week consecutively, even if I've missed a couple. Yeah. And it's none of them are in the job. Um we don't talk about work, we just get on and we play. And for that 90 minutes, a couple of times a week, it's brain out time and you concentrate on something else. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever it is, whatever it sh- whatever's your, your bag, whether that's um, building models, whether that's reading, whether that's, uh, I don't know, um, flying anything. drones somewhere, yeah. anything, yeah, anything that takes you away from work and allows your mind to focus on something else helps you to regain that equilibrium again and kind of get back to the real you so yeah I think I think that's the key just find something you enjoy and and do it yeah the uh the rugby sounds awesome actually and and being able to have a team that accommodates that is really nice to hear because I remember when we were at uni actually I uh played for the basketball team for a short period and joined up and I remember when I first arrived at the training first training session and they were like oh my god you know, this isn't a medical school. So everyone there is studying medical subjects and going into healthcare. They were like, we've never had a paramedic before join the team. Like paramedics, we just don't even see them in the medical school. Like we, we, we know they exist somewhere within this vast hospital that we are based in, but we never see them because they're always on shift or they're always doing something. And, uh, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, hopefully, you know, I'll be able to keep this up. But lo and behold, I think I played for like the first probably six months of the first year of our course and then mm. the shifts were too sporadic and you know we we do shifts alongside going to uni um yeah. which is quite intensive in terms of time and so after a while I, I wasn't making practices I wasn't making the match days and uh, and so I had to drop out and it was really tough because like you say actually that can form such a big part of your mental well-being um yeah. and playing in a in a team particularly not something that's solo you know we can all chuck our running shoes on and go for a jog around the block but um yeah. going and having that social aspect as well is is really good and really important so it's really nice to hear 
Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. I think, and it was the same with the rowing. Um, mm. It they they said, you know, no paramedics actually ever, mm. or no student paramedic has has made it to the end of their course and still been in the squad. Yeah. Um, but I I think I really think that that's something that unis should prioritize. You know, I think mm. in 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 not that medicine is a more structured course. But as you say, our placement blocks used to be thrown in the middle of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to do night shifts, all sorts of shifts when we were on placement. Um, and I really think that universities across the board should be able to block off a day of the week in which they say, you know what, that's okay. If you don't do a shift on that day, that's fine. Yeah, That can be your sport day. Usually yeah. it's Wednesdays, isn't it? Wednesdays. I think it was at yeah. George's. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think that's important. It's... it's um, it's good for people to build that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So in terms of blue sky thinking, if you could change one thing to make the job easier, what would it be? Let's imagine that we don't have all these uh, NHS type budgets constraining us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I saw this question and I thought, wow, this, you know, this, I could go mad with this. Um, <laughs> go on, but do then it. Actually, oh, yeah. But then actually when I started thinking about it, everything I was coming up with was really quite simple. Simple, yeah. Um, and so I've started to, because this, this question fascinated me, so mm. I've started to ask it when I've been around at work and just kind of said, you know, all right then, hypothetically. Yeah. And some people's responses have been have been bonkers, but <laughs> the general consensus is people have, have said really quite logical things. So I'd started off with a thought about maybe having a, I've, I've said this is going to be logical now and then you're going to laugh in my face, but um, <laughs> I, I think I would have had some sort of little pop-up Cafe Nero or other coffee shops are available or an independent one, just in the corner of the ambulance station. They know your order. Yeah. And when you get in to work on that morning, they just turn up at the ambulance while you're doing your VDI with a little tray couple mm-hmm. of pastries and your coffee on it and I thought okay that's quite a nice idea nice start but that's, to shift. even if yeah, it all goes tits up after that <laughs> yeah exactly which inevitably it will but then that's kind of progressed after a couple of discussions and and how it's evolved in my mind over the last couple of days and probably thinking about it on night shifts as well and I think my definitive answer would be a chauffeur who would give me a call at my wake-up time and say come on I'm on my way And I'd get ready and the car would pull up outside. Um, My bags would be placed in the boot and I'd get into this luxurious car. I'd be (laughs) handed a coffee. Um, My choice of music, drive me into work. My bags would be taken and placed on the ambulance. Mm -hmm. Off you go, Lydia. Have a good day. Thank you very much. At the end of the shift, the car would be waiting for me. This time the door opens Boots off, slippers on, into the back, yeah. gin and tonic. Gin and tonic, I was going to say, it's going to be. <laughs> it's got to be, hasn't it? It's me. Um, gin and tonic in the back, choice of music, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> deliver me back home. And, and to be honest, I think that would absolutely be the pinnacle for me. <laughs> I feel like that would make the transitions into and out of work so much easier. <laughs> just, yeah, absolutely. It would be a good amazing. start and a good finish, which is, yeah. you know. At least, at least it helps with whatever happens in between. Yeah, definitely. I like that definitely. idea. Yeah, I think it could catch on actually. Mm. If there's any, you know, well now you're in a management position. You know, oh, and throw yeah. your weight behind it. I could, I could. <laughs> I don't think I'd get very far. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lydia, I've loved having you on the show. 
thank you so much for sharing. Lastly, if our listeners did happen to come across a paramedic at some point today or tomorrow, what is the one question you think they should ask us? Oh, curveball question. (laughs) Um, What should they ask us? I think that they should... I think they should ask us what we love about our job. Mm -hmm. Because where the question, what's the worst job you've ever seen, makes our stomach twist, gives us a lump in our throat, makes us want the ground to open up and swallow us. Mm -hmm. Being asked what we love about our job, what makes us happy in our job, is going to immediately conjure up all of the happiness. Um, and, And I think that would be the perfect question because... It is the best job in the world. And I know that's really corny, mm-hmm. but it is. Um, best decision I ever made. Uh, and as I'm sure you're aware, I've made friends for life, you included. Mm-hmm. Um, for that, I'll forever feel very blessed. So, Yeah, I like that. I like that question as well. Also, because it's an opportunity to remind us why we've chosen it. So even if we're you know, in a rough patch at work or we're having a tough time or we've had some tough jobs, instead of reminding us about those things, it actually gets back to the core of, what we're doing and why we're doing it and reminds us like why we love the job and why we fall in love with it yeah yeah I think that's exactly right don't always need a reminder but that would do it (laughs) brilliant (laughs) well we're here to provide an authentic voice to uniformed professionals and give our listeners a realistic insight into the jobs we do and you've done just that today Lydia thank you so much thank you for having me well that's it for today's episode We'll be back next week speaking with another uniformed professional about what it's like beneath the blue lights. Thank you for being here, lending your ears to our frontline workers. We're here to shift the conversation and we can't do that without you. Thank you to Lydia Maskery for being our guest today. Remember to follow us on The Paramedic Pod on Twitter and The Paramedic Podcast on Instagram. If you found this podcast to be useful and enjoyed listening, please do leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people like yourself find the show. Thank you to Pure Creation Media for producing the podcast. I'll see you next week. Mm